Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Lucy H. Pierce on with us. She is an author of 10 life-changing nonfiction books, and today we're going to kind of dive into her latest book, She of the Sea. So welcome to the podcast, Lucy. Thank you very much. Great to be here with you. Yeah. So I would love to know where I've read many of your books and I would love to know kind of where you draw your inspiration for your books. Is it primarily nature and just kind of tuning in there? Um, so what happens for me is I tend to be struggling with something in my life. So, or getting very excited about something in my life. And so I go looking for sources and resources and kind of either turn up blanks or turn up stuff and it's not really the right kind of thing it's not for me and so I think it was Toni Morrison who said if you can't find the book you're looking for then write it and I take that very literally (laughs) so that has very much been the starting point for my books is because often people wonder kind of you know how how do you have to confidence or the courage because I'm, I'm quite a kind of a, a nervous and a shy and an anxious person in many ways so how do you kind of have find that permission to write these books and that's it it's if there isn't something out there that speaks to me on this topic then then I have permission to do that mm. so that's the first bit and then the second bit is so I, I first of all recognize this need in myself that is not being met by what's out there And then I start recognizing this in other women, you know, in little kind of conversations on Facebook that I might observe or be part of or conversations with friends or watching people struggle. And I'm like, hang on a second, we're all struggling with the same thing or finding this deep need to do with the same thing. So my very first book was um, on creative motherhood. And like at the time I wrote it, um, uh, The Artist's Way was massive. And I read it when I had just had my first child and suddenly got this urge to be creative again. And what I really noticed was, although it was like this million selling book, it seemed to entirely ignore the constrictions and parameters within which mothers and women of you know, who are in a caring role have on their lives. There, there seemed no kind of acknowledgement that this was such a massive thing, like on the amount of energy you have, on the amount of time you have, on the resources, on the space, all of that. So, you know, I, I found when I was writing my book, Burning Woman, that I noticed that when women were talking about power or about being um, hurt or attacked by other people, they used metaphors of fire a lot. Um, so either they're talking about burning passions as a positive thing, but also, you know, we, we talk about witch hunts and we talk about um, that sort of that sort of use of, of fire terminology, burning terminology. Um, you know, that idea of being burned at the stake, feeling like you're burning alive, you know, that sort of thing. So again, with She of the Sea, I noticed that women we're talking a lot about how they would go down to the sea and scream or cry and they wouldn't necessarily even go onto the beach and they wouldn't necessarily even go into the water 
they would sit in their cars and but they would need to be at the beach looking at the sea to be able to get that sort of emotional release and I knew that I whenever I found myself angry frustrated upset would naturally find my way down to the beach now I live five minutes from the beach so it's very easy for me um but it was just what is that what is it that calls us when we are in a state of heightened emotion to the sea rather than to a mountain or to you know anywhere else in nature it seems to be the sea in particular so for me that was that was part of the the puzzle and then the other thing was a lot of women who were dealing with change and transformation and grief in their lives so it might have been women who were um, getting treatment for cancer, women who were grieving the loss of a loved one, uh, women whose uh, children were, you know, uh, facing legal implications, all that sort of thing. We're talking about how they got into water and swam as a way to deal with that. And I was again like, what is this? What is the call of the sea? What is it particularly with the sea and seawater that calls especially women when we are in these states. Wow, I mean, that's uh, all of that I can see, you know, in your writing and I definitely can see and feel that in the collective as well. And um, I'm always drawn back. We don't have, we have, um, I'm in Minnesota and so we have the land of 10,000 lakes here. So we have a lot mm. of lakes and then the Mississippi River, you know, runs through Minnesota as well. and as a child, you know, I was reflecting on this. I'm like, yeah, I went down in the back of, I grew up in a farm and there was a Creek behind our house. And I would always walk down to the Creek when I needed that alone time and that space just to be. And so when I was, as I was reading, I was like, yeah, I mean, this is why I come back now to a river that's not too far from my house. And I just have to be and sit with it. And so Mm. I do find that as a thread that a lot of people have, and a lot of women in particular, just to just to be and just feel. So I, I can say that this book is, it's really, truly touching uh, my soul and my heart. So I would love to know. Really glad. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I want to know, you know, because, you know, you're a mom and you're running a business and you're also a writer, how do you kind of manage that balance? So if someone's kind of looking at, you know, especially this past year, a lot of people are kind of rethinking how they want to live their lives, you know, maybe um, a little tips on how to find that balance with all of these things yeah so I mean the first thing is to say that I'm a human being and a messy human being and like balance is an interesting (laughs) (laughs) um and I I have been creatively self-employed for well over a decade now and um I my eldest child is 16 um so I've I've got a lot of practice whether I'm good at it or not I don't know but I I am good at taking on too much hitting burnout and then reassessing what what is important for me to keep on and what I can let go of both in unhealthy practices such as checking email too much or um trying to do everything in the business myself or whatever um or just simply taking on fewer projects or being far more aware of what it is that I get out of each project and therefore how I keep the balance for myself so you know one of the things I do is um you know I 
I am a creative person myself. I create in order to stay sane and healthy and in order to, I mean, sane is a relative term, right? <laughs> but it, it is vital to my functioning. Um, that's, that's not putting too much emphasis on it. It is vital for me. And yet in the desire to be a good girl, a good woman, um, a kind person, um, fulfill everybody else's needs, I can kind of often put that last. And what I have learned very clearly is if I take on too many books for, from other authors and I don't have time to not just write my own books, but also just create stuff that isn't for money. And that's really important for me is to have an art practice that is literally just for me nothing to do with showing it to other people nothing to do with making any money from it um if I don't have that things don't work for very long so um as much as I want to like you know running a business with a niche publishing house publishing the sort of books that lots of women want to read and not many publishers want to publish we get well over 10 times more books submitted to us than we could ever publish on a good year so for me learning to say no has been mm. a big learning curve and it's hard it's still hard because you know people come to you with their hopes and their dreams and you are you know the potential answer for them and you have to turn down a lot of people and make a lot of people disappointed and that's that can be really hard um, mm. but what I've learned and I don't know who who taught me this but it was it was somebody online taught me that um we have to learn to say no in order that we can say yes to what we want if we're saying yes to everything all the time we're going to end up having to say no to lots of stuff you know we had said yes to in the first place so saying no first is a healthy thing to do it's not a rejection of people it's not an acknowledgement that you're you know, useless and limited, it is actually just an acknowledgement of your humanity and that you have, you have limits on the amount of time and energy that you have. And that's been something that's been very, very hard for me to learn and a very bumpy road because I get excited about stuff. I want to make change, make an impact. I have a lot to say. I have a lot to share. I have more ideas than I could use in 10 lifetimes you know it's mm. hard to have to let those things just float on by and say you know not this lifetime mm. um but but to learn that that's not a failure and to learn that in order to truly enjoy and nourish and be able to give all that you've committed to you you have to limit what you take on you know, both in terms of, you know, I've got three children, so my priorities are there first. I may have lots of authors, I may have a business and whatever, but my children are number one priority. And, you know, we've had lots of health issues in our home the last few years. And there have been times when everything else just has to go on the back burner and apologies have to be made because, because you know, again, it was something I learned early on in motherhood from people at the Leche League breastfeeding counseling group where it's just people before things so I, I just always remember that like if if we're stuck and there's too many things to do and I don't know what to where to prioritize it's people before things 
Mm, I love that. Yes. And the, the inner circle of those people are my husband and my children. Mm. So that's where the energy goes first, always. I love that. Oh. Do you think that we're all innately creative in some capacity? Yeah, I think it's a basic human faculty. That's not to say that we're all artistic. Um, I think certain people have greater skills in pattern making and seeing, in color, in rhythm, just like, you know, we all have the capacity to move our bodies, but not in this lifetime am I going to be any sort of a professional athlete. You know, <laughs> I can walk. I ain't going to ever win a running race. <laughs> That's just not how I'm built. And the same is true for creativity. We can all make we can all make things like that's how we were made is to be able to make things, to create things. But whether you're artistic or not is is down to temperament, training, skills, upbringing, all of those different things. But I think that we get a great satisfaction from. From the act of creation, whatever that means and whatever people each individual's realm is so for one person it might be gardening for another person it might be cooking for some you know we tend to just focus on painting and writing as like you know maybe kind of dance and music as the major creative things but anything that you do with your hands anything where you have a vision of something and how you want it to be and then you make that happen like that is creativity mm -hmm. I love that I think that was in your book too the creatrix that experience because I art is not my strong suit, but yeah. I am an athlete. Like I grew up an athlete and I love to move my body dance. And I'm like, I think that was somewhere. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yes. I, I can resonate with that because that is where my strong suit is versus, you know, <laughs> try and create a picture of any sort of thing. It's going to be stick figures, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like, but what we're told and taught in school very much is that if you are not one of the in inverted commas, gifted artistic few, then you're not creative. Yes. And that's just, that's such rubbish. Um, yes. But at the same time, yeah, no, not everybody needs to paint pictures. There's no kind of obligation to, but where we've got culturally is kind of interesting because in the past, everybody would have as part of their work, as part of their daily life, created stuff use all the time whereas you know art now has moved into being a specialist field mm. done by a few and as a kind of a decorative or performative thing which is kind of quite isolated from daily life um whereas you know in the past we all would have been engaged in creativity constantly yeah yeah i would love to um kind of explore that if people are looking to like, how can I find that alignment in my own life? Is it maybe stepping back and looking at, Hey, what did I do as a child? Like that's how yeah. I find my creative spark. Absolutely. It's reflecting on what lights you up, what just fills you with joy, what, and it often, this is the thing, often it's kind of stuff that we've learned to dismiss or belittle because other people have told us that that's not important and so we've learned not to value that so it's looking at what you loved to do as a child what you would have spent all of your time doing if you could have um the colors that just make you feel good in your soul when you're surrounded by them the patterns that you you find the music it's it's what 
turns something on in your brain and your body when you witness it. And for many of us, symbols are a good way through to that. Um, so it's what do you love to to surround yourself with or to to, you know, so for example, for me, it was peacock feathers. Mm. I found that I was constantly drawn to the combination of colors that are in a peacock feather, but also just having I would regularly buy things with, you know, symbols of peacocks that that meant a lot to me for some reason. So then it was allowing my love of birds. And then what is it that I love about birds? And and then you're starting to go down rabbit holes and explore, you know, what is. And then how can you engage with that more? Yes, that's a great, <clears throat> great exercise that I think I'm going to explore myself. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I would love to kind of chat about, you know, you talk a lot about the power of the feminine and I would love to know kind of what that feminine power means to you. So if someone's new to like, okay, what is, what does that mean? Can you share a little bit about that? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So first things first are when you ask me that question, my, my old bits of my brain perk up and go, Oof, the feminine, oof, because that's very much how I was brought up and how a lot of people in our culture are brought up is to dismiss, negate, shame, feel embarrassed about the feminine because anything that's connected to women's culture, women's being in the world, women's emotions that are connected to to women has tended to have a negative spin put on it so nurturing is often seen as kind of weak or you know you're looking after other people rather than doing something for yourself or crying is a seen seen as weakness and it's seen as not you know not strength so basically we have been brought up to dismiss and denigrate these qualities that our culture has associated with women and females and female bodies And so then as women, we learn to do that to ourselves, to shut down those unacceptable parts of ourselves. Men are just as much, if not more, encouraged to do the same, to shut down anything that speaks of the female or the feminine within themselves. So to speak of the feminine, to me, even though I have made a living out of it, even though that is what my work and my books and my company is about, still it feels dangerous. And still I have that fall in the pit of my stomach that goes, oh God. (laughs) And I think it's really important to acknowledge that and to recognize that because even despite all the work I've done, all that I know and all that I value, and that I live as my values in my life, still there is that instinctive response. Mm. Um, so I need, to, I need to speak to that first. So there is what I call the, the small F feminine. And I go into this in huge detail in, in Burning Woman, if people are wanting to kind of get a far more coherent, <laughs> several years worth of reflection on it, oh. it way into it. Um, the small f feminine is 
you know, what we are sold as what we should be as women. So it's the pink, the fluffy, the soft, the cutesy, the um, the performative elements of what it means to be female in a patriarchal culture. The nice, the obedient, the smiley, the kind, the, you know, non-confrontational, the gentle, all of those things. And then the feminine capital F, I really want to read something to you because yes. I say it so much better in my books. Um, so the, the feminine capital F would be that which I have experienced at key moments in my life, giving birth, during orgasm, during women's circles. It is fierce and gentle together. It is very strong it is embodied, it is powerful, it is deeply connected and engaged, it is the sense of flow going through your body and being fully alive, it is the sense of being connected to your feelings and emotions and for them to be able to flow through you and for you to be able to express them. Um, it is the ability to connect very deeply, both be beyond words, um, through your body in a way that we do during loving sex, during breastfeeding, during the nurturing moments with our children when we're snuggled up in bed with them, when we're comforting them, when they've hurt themselves and we need to transmit that sense of strength and safety and love uh that for me is the feminine um and it's something that still scares me to let it through me because all of my training as a good girl of the patriarchy has been to shut that shit down to to not let it through and to perform nice perform kind perform gentle and instead, this immense power is there in my body, in my in my spirit, which which pours through this body, this female body that I've been taught to feel ashamed of in so many ways, on so many levels. And yet it pours through me. Mm. That is what I am in. In service to in learning how to allow that how to unlearning all that I've been taught until now so that 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 life force which has been associated with women and the female can pour through because that is what our world is in in great need of mm, yes <clears throat> and I know so many women listening can totally relate to, you know, that description and how we were taught and how we were raised versus, you know, that other side of the feminine that maybe we were ex very afraid to express. So thank you yeah. for sharing that. And please, if people do need to read how I say that. Most <laughs> I'm not trying to sell loads of books. I'm just saying yeah, I am a writer, not a speaker. <laughs> It is beautifully written. I have that book as well. And I've read it. And I, that's another wonderful book of yours. So thank you. <laughs> yes. So I would love for, you know, you to share a little bit about honoring the 
fluidity of life and how the sea is kind of a metaphor for that. Mm. So, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to how our world currently is, what we're taught normality is, which is, is solidity and rationality and little boxes of roles and limitations and ways of being. And the sea offers us the opposite. It offers us the experience of fluidity, which I'm connecting with the feminine. Um, you know, traditionally, the linear, the solid is connected with the masculine and fluidity flow both in movement, um, but also in terms of emotionality and just energetically a way of being is connected with the feminine. So the sea gives us a five dimensional embodied experience of what this fluidity and flow is and can look like. It teaches us the power that awesome power that I was talking about, like you, you treat the sea with respect. You, know, you don't just go in thinking, oh, I'm in control of this and I can do what I want. No, you have to treat the sea with respect when you enter its fluidity, its flow. When you're lying in water, when you're swimming in water, you're learning about the power of your own body and the resistance of the water. You're learning about trust and surrender when you're learning to float on water, when you're allowing your body to relax so that you can be held and for me the image that is most powerful in my own spiritual practice is it's kind of connected to when I was in um I, I lived in Japan for about a year and traveled through Southeast Asia and they have several enormous Buddha statues vast vast Buddha statues like a hundred foot tall and their hands were so massive like if you curled up in one of their hands you know you could probably fit three people there in one hand mm. so I have this image of what I call the palm of God or the palm of the goddess um, and it's that being held by something much bigger than you and being able to surrender to it and in surrendering being able to feel deeply connected and safe and cared for which is an experience that most of us don't get most of the time in our adult lives and the sea offers that when we can allow ourselves to be held by water it allows us that experience in our bodies not just mentally but in our bodies that we don't get very often it allows us to experience the fluidity within ourselves connecting with the fluidity outside of us it enables us to experience a different way of being because when you're in the water you're you can't really tell where you end and the water begins. So you learn a different sense of the shape and size and movement of your own body. And just to be beside the water, to watch the water, you know, we find it hypnotic and calming. And in the book, I go into the many, many reasons, kind of sociological, historical, um, you know, 
developmental um, evolutionary as to why this might be, because it fascinates me. But there is something deeply regulating to the human system about being in or even near water. It is something that we have a deep need for. It resets our systems just by seeing the blue, by breathing in the iodine, by hearing the sound of waves, watching that constant rhythm of waves, learning from the tide as it comes in and goes out. We, we understand more about the baseline of how reality in the world works, which our modern culture is bent on ignoring and forgetting. When we are there with the sea, we have an elemental remembering of who we are and how we function as part of nature rather than separate from it. I would love to know, um, you know, since you have the Burning Woman book as well, when, <clears throat> when would someone need fire medicine versus water medicine? I think you just know that, right? I mean, that has to be self-trust. That mm. has to be, what am I drawn to right now? What terrifies me right now? And sometimes what terrifies us is what we need. But we have to know, we not have to know how to trust ourselves. So one of the most important things I've learned in the last few years is, and it really started with the writing of Burning Woman. Mm. There's a difference between... I don't even want to use the word pushing. Pushing is, is too strong a word. So I'll tell you what we, we tend to do. We tend to force ourselves. In our culture, we get taught force at a very young age, which is overriding our basic life-protecting instincts in order to do what somebody else wants us to do. Like We are taught as young children to override that weight, it's dangerous signal that our body gives us. So... There are two ways of doing it. One, you can totally ignore that, not even be able to read or register it. That is not what I'm talking about. So we have to learn how to read our bodies again and trust them and respect the signals they're giving us. That's the first thing. But once you can do that, then there is another level of engaging with that which, which scares us which I call sacred fear, which is not that which will kill us, but that which will transform us, that which is for our higher good. And it, the reason it scares us is because we know that it will change us on some level. And ultimately, in order to stay safe, what we try to do is to not change, because at least within the parameters that we have not now, that we know, we feel that we are safe. So we are instinctually nervous around change and transformation so it's getting that subtle difference between when you are forcing yourself which usually means you're following somebody else's prescription or rules versus when you are challenging yourself or pushing yourself which is you are trusting yourself to the process to engagement with the sacred to the processes of transformation and you are trusting that it is for your good does does that make sense that differentiation mm -hmm. yes yes yeah i think that's um 
the self-trust and it, it take, it can yeah. take years for people to really come into and really start to learn. Cause again, I think we're taught, you know, not to trust ourselves and to look outside of ourselves and, you know, yeah. starting to kind of weed through that, I think is, is something that, um, you know, I really aim to do and with a lot of the work that I do too. So I think that's, um, you know, that's where to start. And we have to learn it again and again and again. And like, yes. if you're a parent, my mm. goodness, that's a constant learning curve. And, you know, the mm. further your children go out into the world, the more you have to do that both as a parent and teach your children how to do that for themselves. Um, and it's, it's big work. It really yeah. is. It, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. My, you get more used to doing it and you get more used to why it needs to be done and why it matters. And then you can be in integrity with yourself. So even if something doesn't work out the way you wanted it, even if actually you might've made what ends up being the wrong choice, you know that you did it engaging with yourself and caring for yourself and engaging with the process rather than riding roughshod over yourself and ignoring your own needs. Oh, yes. Oh, well, I just have one, you know, kind of final topic that I want to touch on um, that was in She of the Sea. And it was a chapter, um, you know, talking about religion, God and magic. And I would love for you to share a little bit about, you know, maybe similarities and differences and um, how that strikes a chord. Cause I know a lot of people, depending on how they grew up, might've had religion in there and, you know, poo-pooed magic. And then as a lot of the people that I work with now, it's kind of flipped, you know, where magic is kind of, uh, more present and then religion is more on the back burner, but there's still that connection to that God or goddess or that higher power energy. So I would love to chat a little bit about that and, um, your experience with it. Oh, Lordy, you do pick the big ones, don't you? I know, I know. (laughs) I like you bringing up the feminine. The first thing that happens is my stomach has contracted (laughs) and I'm feeling sick when you ask me that because I'm aware that you're living in America, that the religious situation in the US is very different to me here um, and that... I don't want to stick my foot in it anyway. So, <laughs> okay. So the next thing you need to know is that right up, literally, not even until the book went out, but after the book launched, I still went back and saw if I could take out that chapter. Oh wow! That is how uncomfortable I am talking about. That. <laughs> I yeah, literally, I was gonna. It went out to pre-order customers, and. The weekend it went out, I went to my computer and I took out that chapter and I took out the other god magic goddess bits, took out a couple of bits that made me feel pretty vulnerable about um, being autistic and basically what I consider the weird bits, the suicidal ideation, all all the bits that just made me go and um, saw if I could make a normal book, which didn't have those bits in. Um. And then my dad phoned me. I'm going to, I'm afraid I'm going to give you a non-answer. Um, <laughs> that is totally fine. <laughs> but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you real. Yeah. Um, so my dad phoned me last week and, you know, I've had a really interesting relationship with my dad growing up. You know, he's very, he's a creative entrepreneur and he is 
he's a very progressive man in many ways and yet he has the old male in him in other ways so we uh, he was never you know a religious authority with me and yet talking about stuff to do with the feminine and feminism and magic and goddesses uh you know I just know I can kind of picture him rolling his eyes as he reads that bit and kind of like oh for god's sake Lucy so he phoned me up a few days ago and he said so I've got to the bit about God and magic and internally I went oh (laughs) here we go we're gonna have this conversation and he said it's really good Lucy Mm. I was like what (laughs) and it wasn't that I needed you know the approval of my father per se it was just that I had so dreaded and anticipated his response and actually it was something different because of where he is now to to what I anticipated and so I have a feeling and a hope that that is how it will be received by other people because you know religion is such a hot topic and there is so much you know what I speak to is the authentic my authentic experience of that which lies beyond words and I I grew up learning to call that God and recently have learned to call that magic and in the book I have this sudden realization which was a genuine realization as I was writing that hang on a second these things that we describe in this way this this power beyond what is visible is the same thing Mm. it I mean I notice lots these Christian people listening to me they're currently like praying for my soul and you know (laughs) that's horrific to hear but the way that practitioners of both of those things express their personal understanding not dogma but personal understanding of that greater power that lies behind the universe behind our experiences here that greater something that we can't touch we can't see we don't know except that we do it's the same thing so but then you feel stupid even talking about it because I feel stupid talking about it because you can't point to it you can't you don't have evidence like I'm married to a scientist you know I cringe having to have these conversations with him and yet I know he experiences this too Mm. and so what I wanted to do was to express as clearly as possible my experience of what Sigmund Freud describes as the oceanic which is the feeling that lies behind all religions that which we're trying to engage with that we cannot see we cannot touch and yet we know on some deep level and that is the driving force of my life that is what creativity gives me that is what I get during sex that is what I got during birth that is what I experience again and again in all sorts of ways that our culture tells me are not the ways we can access it I've also experienced it in church. I've experienced it in prayer. I've experienced it in many, many different ways. And I know that for sure. But to talk about it makes you sound crazy or it makes you pick fights with people who 
share a different language around it or a different set of rituals and practices. I have no interest in confrontation. What I have is an interest in deep experience and sharing of that and hearing other people's deep experience. The details of it, the dogma around it, no time for that. Mm. I so agree. I mean, I loved, I loved the chapter and I thought it um, put great work because I, I grew up in uh, a Christian background, um, ELCA Lutheran, so a little bit more liberal. And, you know, my mom knows, you know, where I'm at now with it. Uh, my mother and I, she was more Catholic, more strict. We don't always see eye to eye on religion. But for me, like that chapter, um, just as I had said, that river that I go to earlier, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I feel like when I go on this trail. Like that is my connection to that higher power, you know, the God, oh. goddess energy. And I just, I always kind of greet the land when I am on this trail, whether I'm biking, walking. Um, and there's just certain places that I feel that deep connection to. So I found it to be um, beautifully put. And in a way that like, I'm like, okay, this is what I um, I feel, but don't have the words to express. So I appreciated that and the connection there. I'm glad. Thank you. Yes, you make yes. it sound so less neurotic than I do. <laughs> <laughs> No, I thought it was great. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, but that's why I write these things. I write them because, because I have all that inner turmoil and I'm looking for language for my experience in order to validate my own inner experience with the external proof of history, philosophy, and mainly other women's experiences to say, look, this is real. This is not what I was taught, but this is what I know to be true through my lived experience. And that's scary because you're standing up and with the potential of being shut down, mocked, shamed, whatever, because we're taught that if you stick out, if you don't, you know, follow the rules, then bad shit will happen to you. And so, you know, it's scary. Um, uh, and that's what I still feel in my body when I get asked the big questions <laughs> and when I write the big chapters and when I put them out in the world, I feel that fear of it's the sacred fear. I'm engaged in that process willingly, but it's still fear and it's still big. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, maybe it goes away, but I mean, I definitely depending on the the population or who I'm with, I, I will hold back my own views just because of the same, the, the judgment or the fear of like this backlash and Mm -hmm. stuff that I'm not asking or inviting. It's, it is that dogma that, you know, Mm. can get pushed in our face that just doesn't feel great. And as women, we are particularly vulnerable to that because we're socialized not to antagonize and to follow the rules. And other women are socialized to keep girls and women Mm. in their place you know that is what happens in the patriarchy so again in burning woman i'm really exploring that dynamic because you know often as women the people we get burned and shamed and hurt by most is other women and that's that's something that can be really challenging to us as we're building these ideas of you know feminine power and sisterhood and stuff actually the people who have and can hurt you most are other women Hmm. yes oh well lucy um, i have loved our conversation and if people are looking to connect with you or find your books where is the best place for them to do that 
Um, well, I can be found on all the major um, all the major bookseller sites. Um, WomancraftPublishing.com is my publishing company, and so we have my titles and lots and lots and lots of other fabulous women authors um, and signed copies of all of our books, um, as well as beautiful goddess figurines and uh, my art gift mm -hmm. card, great greetings cards and stuff. Um, and my website is lucyhpierce.com and um, I'm on Facebook and what I most love at the moment social media wise is Instagram, Lucy H. Pierce and Womancraft Publishing um, is where I like to be creative and connect and I find them safer and friendlier than the, the, the hell that can be Facebook debates and, and, and nastiness. So that's where I tend to hang out most. Well, I just have one final question for you. Um, when I have a guest on, I like to have the guest throw out a weekly challenge to the listeners. So what would you like that challenge to be this week? Okay, well, let's, let's go with what we were talking about earlier, which is find your symbols, mm -hmm. look around your life, around your, your little world that you've created. And what are, what are the symbols that are most meaningful to you? Um, they could be you know, objects, designs, um, a, might be animals, uh, a certain color, might be doorways or keys or feathers or eggs or birds or things made of glass or, you know, what is it? What is it that lights you up from within and recurs again and again in mm -hmm. your life that is meaningful to you? I love that. And I will, I will be doing that this week. I'm going to start mine, start mine early before this airs. So thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you again, Lucy and everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. <laughs>